Hello. Welcome to The Legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. This podcast is a member of the History Podcasters Network. Please go to www.historypodcasters.com where you will find a directory of other excellent history podcasts and also the History Collage Project. This is a series of podcast episodes on specific themes with contributions from many of the podcasters from the network. The current theme is End of an Era. Please check it out, it really is great fun. So, on with the show. Chapter 21, The Last Arrow. And so the merry men had scattered. Prince John, then King John, had had no success in driving the outlaws from their home. Sir Guy of Gisborne had tried many times, but failed miserably. Sir Isambard de Balaam had pitted his wits against Robin Hood, but his wits had not been up to the job. The Sheriff of Nottingham had supplied men and money to clear Sherwood of outlaws, but had ended up losing every time. All of Robin's arch-enemies were dead. It should have meant an easier life for the men of Sherwood, but they'd been undone by a minor Norman nobleman. Roger the Cruel had exposed their hideout. OK, they'd had their revenge on him, but they knew they were no longer safe. Many of the merry men simply slunk away into local towns. George Green returned to Wakefield. Much the miller's son found a mill which needed a helping hand and laid low, doing an honest day's work. Alan Adale took his Lucy and found a small cottage where they managed to keep their heads down and live happily together, all they had ever wanted. Little John and Friar Tuck dressed themselves up as woodlanders and moved south. Will Scarlet remained where he was, buried in the once safe haven of Robber's Glade. As he walked away from Sherwood, Friar Tuck prayed that the inevitable invaders would not find his final resting place and that the man in red could rest in peace. Robin Hood himself, once he had made sure that Marion was safe with the sisters at Kirklees, travelled north. He wasn't sure where he'd go, but he felt safer in the wild moors of Yorkshire than in the forests of the South Midlands. But he didn't stop at the moors. Robin Hood rode on towards the sea, soon finding himself gazing out over the waters from the cliffs near Scarborough. He found some lodgings near the beach, where he booked in under the name of Simon Lee, a fisherman. Robin, or Simon, rested for the night and for most of the next day. As the sun started to set over the moors behind him, Robin stared out to sea again. Still unsure of what to do next, he returned to his lodgings. When he got there, his landlady was waiting for him. ''Simon,'' she said, ''I've heard there's a fishing boat in the harbour which is down a crew member.'' It seems there's a fever in Scarborough, and many men are ill with it. I mentioned that a fisherman was staying with me, and the captain has offered you a place in his crew for the next sailing. Now, this may sound like it was good news, but Robin Hood had never sailed in his life. Still, he thought, how hard can it be? He readily agreed. At least on a fishing boat he wouldn't be found. In the morning, before the sun rose, he made his way to the quayside. The captain wondered why his new fisherman brought a longbow and sword with him to trawl the sea, but deciding there were many strange men toiling the ocean, he welcomed Simon Lee aboard. The trip was a disaster. Fishing is a skilled profession, and Robin was not up to it. The ropping of the boat made him ill, and he caught precisely no fish. His fellow crewmen jeered at him. "'This landlubber's no seaman,' yelled the captain. "'There'll be no pay for him when we get home.' He's nothing but a land-bound liar. Things got no better as the voyage went on. Simon Lee protested he'd be doing fine if they were trying to catch deer in a forest rather than fish from the sea. 
This, of course, didn't wash with the sailors. The more the new crewman staggered about the deck and failed to land a single cod, the more his fellows laughed at him and condemned him for being useless. A week into the trip, though, Robin Hood spotted something. As he lurched from port to starboard, his eyes focused on a vessel approaching them from the east. It was a French pirate ship. A minute or two later, the captain spotted it too. Oh Lord, he exclaimed, now we will lose everything. Those Frenchmen will take our catch, our ship and maybe our lives. We are lost. Wait, yelled Robin Hood, pass me my longboat and as many arrows as you can carry. The captain laughed out loud, remarkable under the circumstances. Ha, you, Simon Lee, I'd do better throwing you overboard, you landlubber. Watch, replied Robin. Ignoring the incredulity of his fellows, Robin staggered over to his bow and picked it up. He managed to swing the quiver over his back and then tied himself to the boat to steady himself. A couple of the fishermen, guessing what Simon might be doing, strode over and made sure he was securely roped to the main mast. The captain, realising Simon may be a useless sailor but was clearly brave, stopped talking. The French pirate ship sailed noiselessly towards them. Before too long, the terrified sailors could make out figures on the deck. Standing at the fore, arms crossed, barking orders, was the pirate captain. Simon Lee raised his bow and strung an arrow. Barely seeming to take aim, he loosed the bolt. A second or two later, the pirate captain was dead on his own deck. The ship, though, sailed on towards the fishing boat. The man tied to the mast fired arrow after arrow at the pirates. After another few minutes, the two ships were side by side. Now, captain, said Simon. Untie me and follow me. There's nothing to fear. Leading the sailors, he boarded the pirate ship, sword drawn. His bow had done its work. Only three pirates remained alive. Simon made short work of them. OK, Captain, I believe all this is yours. Search the ship. There's no law about what you can keep when you defeat pirates. The sailors searched the French vessel. On it were more than £12,000 worth of gold and much more in other treasure. The captain turned to the useless fisherman and spoke seriously and humbly. Good Simon Lee, I have misjudged you terribly. OK, you can't do what we do, but a man should be recognised for his skills, not derided for those he doesn't have. Were it not for you, we would all be prisoners, or dead, and our families would have starved. We live to fish another day, and for that we are forever in your debt. All this treasure is yours. Robin Hood filled his pockets with gold. Then he smiled. Good captain, I need only what I can carry. Take the rest and share it amongst yourselves and the people of Scarborough. Build houses for the poor. Feed those who can't feed themselves. All I ask is that you drop me off in a secluded bay so I can journey safely onward. And so they sailed to the place where the Merry Men had defeated Damon the Pirate, the place we now know as Robin Hood's Bay. Farewell, good Simon Lee, said the captain. And farewell to you, captain, but I am not Simon Lee the fisherman. No, when you tell this tale in the taverns of Yorkshire, let all know the fisherman who could not catch fish was Robin of Loxley, known to most as Robin Hood. And with that he strode away. The sailors watched him go, open-mouthed with awe. Robin Hood walked about twenty miles, his legs becoming heavier with each step. He wondered why he felt like this, he was a very fit man, and twenty miles should have been nothing. When he reached a small town on the edge of the moors, he realised he wasn't just tired. 
His head ached and his limbs felt cold and hot in turn. He was sweating, even when he was cold enough to shiver. Robin Hood had caught the fever that was spreading around Scarborough. He bought a horse and then found lodgings for the night. He went to bed early, hoping he'd feel better in the morning. He didn't. In fact, he felt a lot worse. Robin Hood wondered what to do. He didn't know Yorkshire very well. He knew he needed help. He needed medical care. Deciding it was better to go with what he knew, he mounted his new horse and made his way south, back towards Sherwood. If he could get to Kirkley's Abbey, then he could be treated by the sisters, and when he was better he could see his Marion, and they could make plans. Marion was indeed at Kirkley's. Under the tender care of the sisters, she was returning to health. Every day she asked if there had been news about her Robin, but the prioress said no. Nothing had been learned about his whereabouts. Little John and the fat friar were thought to be hiding just south of Nottinghamshire. Much the miller's son was working locally, Georgia Green was back in Wakefield. But of Robin, there had been no word. The prioress, whose name was Elizabeth, fed the news to Marion. Now you may wonder how a prioress, supposedly cut off from the rest of the world, would know this news. Well, it's quite simple. She was hearing it from her master, Abbot Hugo of St Mary's. She drip-fed what the evil churchman told her to Marion, allowing her some hope that Robin would be found soon. A week or two after she arrived, though, Marion was given the awful news she dreaded. Robin Hood was dead. He had died of wounds received in a battle in Yorkshire. Marion didn't want to believe what she'd been told, but she trusted the prioress absolutely. After all, why wouldn't she? In her grief, Marion of Sherwood agreed to take the vows and enter the Holy Order. This was what Hugo and the prioress had planned. Now, when Robin was really dead, and they intended that to be soon, Loxley Hall would belong to them. As a member of the Abbey of Kirklees, all Marion's property would be forfeit to the church. So Marion became a nun on the same day that Robin bought his horse. Two days later he was at Kirklees himself, suffering badly with the fever. The prioress received him with concern and took him to a guest chamber on the ground floor of the Abbey nunnery. The window looked out onto Sherwood Forest. Robin smiled to see his home. He hoped to be roaming among the trees there soon. It wouldn't be long before he was better. He drank the water the prioress gave him and settled down for a sleep. His treatment would begin in the morning. He would be well before he knew it. Overnight, the news was carried to Abbot Hugo. Robin Hood was back. The report was overheard by one of the abbot's servants. He stole away and travelled the twenty miles or so to the place where a very tall former merry man was known to be hiding. If only he'd waited until the abbot had given his orders. Abbot Hugo gave his orders. The next morning, Elizabeth entered Robin's room and opened the curtains. Robin of Loxley, I've consulted with the texts and I'm here to help you. You need a course of bleeding... That will relieve the fever and you'll be better in a couple of days. Thank you, good mother, replied Robin. But first, tell me about Marion. I sent my wife here to recover from her injuries. Please tell me how she is. Yes, she came here, said the prioress, but she recovered very quickly and returned, I think, to Loxley Hall. I must go to her, said Robin, trying to get up. You are too weak, soothed Elizabeth. In two or three days you'll be strong enough. Now it's time for your treatment. The abbess opened a vein on Robin's arm and watched the blood flow from his body. When it seemed that enough blood had been taken, Elizabeth bandaged the arm and staunched the flow. She patted him on the head and smiled. 
As he drifted off to sleep, Robin Hood had a feeling of foreboding. He was too weak, both from fever and from the bloodletting, to process his thought properly, and soon drifted off to sleep. The prioress waited until she was sure that her pale guest was sleeping soundly. Then she went back into his room and silently and carefully loosened the bandage. The blood began to flow again, flowing out of Robin's body slowly and his life flowed with it. It was amazing he woke up in the morning at all, but when he did he realised what had happened. He knew he'd lost too much blood and he knew that he'd been murdered. His mouth managed to silently emit one word. Marion. Trembling with weakness, Robin of Loxley reached into his tunic and withdrew his tiny bugle. He blew on it with all the strength he could muster. The sound was weak, but maybe just loud enough. The window was open and Robin hoped the note could travel far enough and there was someone there to hear it. The answer came quickly. A bugle note reply came in through the window. A few minutes later, little John was banging on the doors of the nunnery. And someone else heard the bugle call. Marion, knelt in the chapel, started at the sound of Robin's call. She knew it was Robin. She jumped up and ran. She jumped up and ran to the nunnery. There she threw open every door until she saw her husband lying on a bed, covered in his own blood. Marion, he rasped. They told me you were at Loxley. No, my love, I've been here all the time. They told me you were dead. And now they've made it so, replied Robin weakly. And where else will I ask to die than in your fair arms? Just as Robin Hood uttered these words, little John, having beaten down the outside door of the nunnery, burst into the room. He looked at Robin Hood and Marion and knew immediately that he was too late. Oh, master, master, I will avenge you. I will burn down this place and kill the evil prioress. No, John. We've never harmed a woman, and now's not the time to start. Soon there will be peace in this land. King Henry's not his father, and soon you will have nothing to fear any more. Marion, leave this place and go back to Loxley. They will not dare to take you by force. Now, John, carry me to the window and give me my bow. Little John did as he was asked. Robin lodged an arrow into the string and gathered up the last of his strength. Then he fired his last arrow, straight and true through the window and into the forest. John, when I'm gone, take me from here to where the arrow has landed. Dig a hole and put me in it along with my bow. Cover me with the green of the forest and put up a small stone so all will know where Robin Hood lies buried. Little John, unable to speak as the tears rolled down his face, nodded. Robin turned to Marion and tried to speak, but he had nothing left. With a great deal of effort he simply smiled at her, she smiled back, although her eyes were wet. Robin Hood slumped forward into Little John's mighty arms and breathed no more. Little John and Marion wept quietly, united in lonely sorrow. For a few minutes they allowed themselves to grieve. Then Little John picked up the body of his leader and they strode from the nunnery. Nobody dared try to stop them. Marion went straight to Loxley, just as Robin had asked. The huge man bore his friend and master a few hundred yards into the forest until he found the arrow Robin had fired. There he buried Robin of Loxley, Lord of Sherwood, leader of the Merry Men and champion of the poor. It was over. Never would Nottinghamshire or England see his like again. 
Little John wandered into the depths of the forest, lost in grief. The years passed, and the stories of the merry men turned into legends. Most of the men grew old gracefully, living off the remains of the treasure taken from the corrupt. Some just got normal jobs and lived out their lives in peace. Occasionally some of them met up and shared some wine and talked of old times. Twenty years after the death of King John, his son King Henry III was in Sherwood hunting stags. King Henry was a fine and keen hunter and Sherwood became one of his favourite places in which to enjoy it. That particular day he was in pursuit of the finest stag he had ever seen. It was a fast one and only he could keep up with it. He became separated from the rest of his party. Night began to fall and the king decided he needed to look for lodgings. He was deep in the forest though and there were no houses. All he could find was a small chapel, next to which was a hermit's cell. The chapel was emitting a small light and the king opened the door. There, praying, were two hermits, one very tall and one very fat. King Henry let them finish their prayers and then asked for shelter. They didn't seem too keen, but eventually gave him a straw bale to lie on and told him they didn't have much food to give him, all they could muster was some bread and a bit of cheese. They seemed to have no idea who he was. Really? answered the king. Surely here among these fine deer you can do better than that. Alas, we are poor men, answered the fat hermit, and perhaps you want to entrap us into confessing that we have broken the law. Oh no, said the king. I wouldn't try and trap anyone who gave me a good meal. I particularly need one tonight. Perhaps this will help. The king produced a very large flask of very strong wine. The two hermits agreed to drink with their visitor, and pretty soon all three became somewhat merry. After a while, some quite excellent venison pasties were produced by the fat hermit, while the tall one fetched some highly potent ale. The hermits challenged their visitor to an archery contest. The king, somewhat surprised these two old men could even draw a bow, agreed. A willow twig was set up, and they all fired at it from thirty yards. The king, a fine archer, managed to shave it with his shot. He was very taken aback when the fat hermit matched his shot, and then the tall one split it in two. All three then decided they were too drunk for any more archery, and went back to drink some more. Never have I been so well entertained or seen such bowmanship, declared the king. It wouldn't take much of a stretch of the imagination to believe we were back in the days of my uncle Richard the Lionheart, when Robin Hood ruled in Sherwood. So many tales are told and songs sung. Do you know any? We should share them. The two old hermits seemed to shed thirty years. All night they told stories of the outlaws of Sherwood and their leader Robin Hood. In the morning they put their unsteady guest, still quite drunk, on his horse. As he gingerly took the reins and prepared to ride away, he turned to his hosts. My friends, maybe it's my imagination and maybe I'm dreaming, but I think that last night I drank with Friar Tuck and Little John. With that, he turned and rode away. He came back the following year, and the next, and the next, and hunted in Sherwood. Each time he searched for the hermit cell and the two men with which he had shared a night of wine and stories. He never found them, and nor did anyone else, and before long this story drifted into legend just like all the rest. And so we've come to the end of our tale of Robin Hood of Sherwood and his merry men. But of course, this is not the end of the podcast. Tune in in a couple of weeks and I'll tell you what we're going to do next. Until then, 
Have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.